Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. Our topic today is the church in the midst of pandemic, and we're going to take a global perspective on this topic. So I have three guests from three very different parts of the world. Uh, Neil Tai is in the Philippines, and welcome, Neil, to uh, to the table. Hello, Dr. Bach, and uh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting us. Glad to do it. And Michael Van Andel is in uh, South Africa. Welcome, Michael. Afternoon, Dr. Bach. Yeah, to be here. exactly right. It's afternoon where you are, it's morning where I am, and it's evening where they are. And then Timothy Muthala, who's in uh, India. Welcome, Timothy. Uh, thank you, Dr. Bach, and wonderful to be here. Glad to be with you. And so let's let's get specific in terms of locations. I've said Philippines, South Africa, and India. Where specifically in your country are you residing, Neil? Uh, currently, I'm residing in Quezon City, which is just uh, it's part of the Metro Manila complex, and the city is just beside Manila proper. Okay, and how how much of a population does Manila have? How, how big a city is it? Uh, Metro Manila is composed of about maybe uh, 15 to uh, almost 20 million in population, not counting the you know streetcars and uh, sidecars and uh, bicycles <laughs> that are roaming the streets nowadays. Yeah, maybe yeah, about yeah. 40 million to go together. Manila's together. traffic is legendary, so uh, so great. Um, and uh, Michael, where are you where are you located? I am based in Sandton, South Africa, which is part of the broader Johannesburg area. And I was getting really nervous when you asked Neil about the population of Manila because it is very difficult to estimate the population of Johannesburg. And even with good estimates, I may not be the person to ask for an exact count. Well, uh, more or less. And do you have any idea what it, what kind of the range is or what is it in the mil? It's about a million or so, or is it bigger than that? Uh, it's way, way bigger than that. Part of the reason it's difficult to estimate is that it, it just depends where you draw the lines in terms of township areas, which are, I suppose, similar to um, similar to almost ghetto cities in the U.S. Mm -hmm. in some ways, and very densely populated and sprawling. So it, it really depends how you measure Johannesburg. Um, but a few million. Multiple millions. Multiple millions, okay. And then, uh, Timothy, where are you in India? I am from the South India, southern part. Uh, I come from a state called Telangana, which has around 40 million people. Uh, but uh, I live in the capital city, which is called as Hyderabad, which has uh, around 7 million people. Yeah, I've been there. It's an in interesting, fascinating place. By the way, I, I just recently acquired an India cricket jersey, Timothy, so I just want you to know that I'm keeping up my cricket interests. So, uh, um, well, great. So let me dive in. So, so, so you're in. You're all in major metro metropolitan areas, and obviously the 
uh, church has been significantly impacted by uh, by the pandemic. I think that I think I want to ask two questions to start off with, and that is um, uh, how long how long if how long have you not been meeting for if you're still not meeting and and or if you've opened up, how recently have you opened up, and what's been the impact of the pandemic on on the church in in at least in your region? Um, I, I'd be hard to speak for the country as a whole, but if to the extent that you want to reflect on that, and I'm going to go in reverse order, so I'm going to start with India because India has been in the news in the last um, several months for the severity of the pandemic. And uh, where do things stand right now, Timothy? And how's the, what's the situation with the church? Wow. Uh, as the world might know, uh, we are actually anticipating the third wave of uh, COVID. Uh, during the first wave, uh, we almost lost around three to four months uh, of church gatherings because of the strict lockdown uh, was in place for almost over a month, I think, uh, if my memory serves me well. Uh, but after that, during the second uh, wave again, uh, we had another two months of uh, break from the church, uh, which was totally uh, strange for Indian setup because uh, we were not prepared uh, in other ways, especially uh, during the first wave. It, it, the impact was great. Uh, and... Uh, most of the churches did not have any clue uh, as to how they would switch and they developed a lot of uh, a discussion uh, whether we can use the internet uh, churches internet-based churches or uh, whether some, some people thought we have to gather at any uh, cost so they, they were trying to gather even during the pandemic because they felt uh, uh, probably it's a uh, it's a challenge for a religiosity, so we should stand up for the challenge kind of thinking among some. But that, that's a minority, I would say. Uh, yeah, it, it was the strangest situation, and uh, we were in lockdown for a long time. And for many weeks, we couldn't gather as church. Uh, after the second wave, uh, we started to gather only since last three weeks. Mm. And so, and but you're anticipating the possibility that you might have to lock down again, right? Yes. Uh, second or third weeks of uh, August is when people are uh, expecting the spike for the third time. Wow. Um, then, go ahead. I'm we sorry. We are not sure. Uh, I, I was just going to say, but we, we are not sure whether they would impose a lockdown uh, like they were doing it uh, earlier, but there might be some restrictions uh, on uh, travel and things like that. Uh, we are not sure they, if they would opt for complete lockdown. And, and of course, one of the challenges in India is I assume that the uh, vaccination process is, is barely underway or, or at least has uh, not impacted that many people. Yes, uh, According to the government stats, uh, around 20 percent people have got at least the first shot uh, of vaccines, um, but it's still very low with the kind of number that we have. So uh, vaccine preventing the third wave uh, it may not be possible because uh, not many people are vaccinated right now. 
Right. Yeah. But it is underway. It yeah. is underway. And of course, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, India is a vast country with a, a significant population. Uh, I, I understand well, it's over a billion now, uh, just in the 1. country. 3. Yeah, one point three. Yeah, one point three. Almost as large as China, or have you passed China? It's close. I know. It's close. We haven't passed. Yeah. So um, anyway, significant. Well, let's turn to South Africa, Michael. Uh, what's the situation there, and and kind of what's the overview of what the pandemic has been like and the impact on the churches? Well, we are presently in the midst of a third wave with the Delta variant, and churches are once again closed. Uh, interprovincial travel isn't allowed um, with certain certain caveats, uh, certain types of business travel and whatnot, but no leisure travel and so forth. Uh, we have had various different lockdowns uh, beginning from about March or April last year. So at times it hasn't been possible for churches to meet at all. At other times, um, attendance has been limited to 50 or 100 people. And at one stage, um, maybe 50% of uh, venue sizes. So there's really been ebbs and flows, but church meetings still hasn't gone back to normal. As I said, not meeting at all at the moment. And when people do meet, uh, it it's required that you wear masks and uh, apply social distancing. So I'd say it's been quite tough for people to connect, especially in larger congregations, firstly. And secondly, I mentioned the township areas. So there are a lot of um, churches in those kind of areas that simply don't have resources in terms of bandwidth to actually meet electronically and in fact it's virtually impossible to socially distance in some of those areas and people are reliant on community interactions so there's really been different challenges depending on whether you're in a more affluent area or in in less affluent areas and just depending on how high infections are in that particular area but things have definitely not gone back to normal and uh, Darrell, as I mentioned to you, we've had a, a lot of generalized anarchy and looting in South Africa in the past week or so, and that's added to the complexity of the crisis. Hmm. And now uh, to the Philippines, Neil. Uh, situa- uh, situ- well, wait, let me ask Michael one other question. Um, and where's the status of vaccinations in the, in the country, Michael? We... I'd say probably between seven and eight percent of people have received at least one dose now. I actually received my first vaccination dose yesterday uh, after waiting in a line for five hours. Hmm. Um, In terms of people who have received first and second vaccinations, that's probably about two and a half percent. I hope that's right, but I think so. It's not very, very, not very much vaccination yet. I'm curious, which which uh, vaccine did you get? Do you know? I received the Pfizer vaccine. Okay, so we're Pfizer brothers. Uh, um, and uh, Neil, a situation in the Philippines and the status of vaccination in the country. 
uh, since March uh, of 2020, um, kids are not allowed um, below 16 years old and uh, 65 years above. They're not allowed and uh, to go out of their premises because of uh, this pandemic. And the government has imposed a lot of restrictions, so which has affected uh, a lot of uh, church meetings and gatherings. Um, recently, uh, the cases have been coming down here in the Philippines, and so government has uh, started to open up. And just a week ago, they, the government just allowed kids from five years above to to leave their premise, premises to you know go anywhere they like. But of course, it's just outdoors. Uh, for malls, they're not allowed to. Uh, go in much more in churches if it's indoors kids are not allowed so this has affected a lot of families from going to church um, recently the government allows about 30% of capacity for churches to gather so there's still a lot of churches that don't meet because people are generally scared of uh, um, getting infected over here so um, uh, since March 2020 until now it's like many people haven't gone to church physically here in the Philippines. Hmm. Now, obviously, for all of you, um, part of the issue here is if obviously if you shut down a church and can't meet in a building, then the question becomes, what is the alternative? And uh, and so I want to walk through that. And of course, obviously, the alternative, uh, the primary alternative that at least exists in the United States, is to meet uh, digitally through um, Zoom or its equivalent uh, and. Uh, and that assumes a pretty extensive um, digital capability. So I'd, I'd like to walk through kind of the situation in each of your countries from that standpoint. And Neil, I'll start with you in the Philippines. I imagine, I'm just imagine that, uh, except in maybe significant uh, metro areas, this, this might be a little bit of a challenge because you not only have the availability of the digital uh, means, but the way in which internet works in each of the countries where you pay for the amount of data that you use and using uh, Zoom or something like that because it's often video, et cetera, is, is expensive for people. Is that correct? That's very true. For a country that um, survives or lives by about $10 a day for the normal uh, folks here, it is tough for them to add on to their um, data plan so it's a big challenge for the poor people uh, to be able to gain access into this online uh, churches um, generally almost all churches here have gone online and I've spoken to some of my friends they said that you know the outskirts especially those with no internet access uh, they they could they have not gone to church since the lockdown last year 2020 Hmm. So um, many people have not gone to church in general. So, so highly, highly disruptive. Highly disrupted. That's yeah. true. Yeah, interesting. Uh, South Africa, Michael. Uh, what's the situation there when it comes to access and and the expense of doing so for people? And obviously, this depends on whether you're in the cities or in the townships. And when we talk about townships. We just might describe a little bit about what's involved in, in, a, in a township area. Michael? Sure. So in terms of uh, the first part of what you said, it really does depend on, on area and levels of affluence. Um, we have 
I'd say limited examples of free public Wi-Fi. So a lot of people are on pay-as-you-go data plans. For more affluent churches, um, there has been the possibility of moving to Zoom or other equivalent uh, communication platform. I think one interesting challenge that has come up for various congregations is that a lot of large congregations here are really dependent on hype and having a certain type of a musical band experience and um, getting getting an atmosphere together which does not necessarily translate well into um, a Zoom type of platform. So I think maybe in the medium term that is something good um, in that people in leadership might be challenged to think about what their priorities ought to be in terms of ministry. On the flip side, I think a lot of people who maybe were on the outskirts of attending a local congregation and maybe sporadic and that kind of thing, it's been pretty easy for them just to disengage and drop off uh, from regular attendance. In the township areas, um, which you asked me to describe, often these, or almost always, these are areas that are a remnant of the apartheid era where um, non-white populations primarily were aggregated according to racial classifications, um, often in very densely populated areas. Um, but there are different racial groupings, and so townships would sometimes take on the characteristic of that particular language uh, grouping, cultural grouping, and so forth. But also, a lot of people don't have um, don't have permanent homes, so there's a lot of informal dwellings in various places like that which is not dissimilar to what you have in India and the Philippines. When we come to township areas, um, I'd say things like Zoom and video connections are simply impossible in many instances, um, both because of the nature of devices, but also the fact that, as Neil was saying in the Philippines, it just would add too much cost and we don't always have the fastest internet access. So in those kind of areas, some of the congregations are doing things like WhatsApp voice messages coupled with sending certain sermon notes via WhatsApp grouping or Telegram or something like that. So people are trying to uh, continue with the work of serving the Lord and ministering to people. Uh, but it, there are many practical needs as well in township areas that simply can't be met via internet platforms. And because of the, the densely populated nature of the area, as I said earlier, sometimes, let alone social distancing, sometimes there isn't running water. So it's all well and good to tell people to be careful and to wash hands and those kinds of things. Uh, but we really live in a in a country where there are marked contrasts between those who have um, reasonable employment and certain people who 
just struggle to get by. Yeah, I just remember on some of the drives that we've taken um, through South Africa going by the town sits or in some cases into them, um, <laughs> the, the amount of what I'll just call independent wiring that goes on that connects uh, some of the uh, some of the the homes corrugated steel is uh, oftentimes you know what a wall of a of a home would be that kind of thing um, and and so the disruption you know we've talked about disruption in general but the disruption particularly in the poorer areas is really intense and uh, the ability to actually uh, have a functional church is really challenging uh, um, we've had um, We've had, of course, Neil, who who we know, uh, Henry, we've had as a guest talking about ministry in the townships. Um, at some point, I'd love to get him on the table and talk about the particular challenge of, of ministry in the townships. But again, the bottom line is the same as with Neil, highly disruptive. Um, and I agree with you totally, Michael, that, that the one thing that doesn't translate very well in an internet environment, in a Zoom environment for a church is the worship and the music and the way in which the music and the worship as kind of a group exercise gets experienced in a church building. You just can't replicate that uh, very um, straightforwardly in a, in a Zoom environment. That's, I think, one of the challenges people have. Go ahead. One last um, observation which just occurred to me whilst you were summarizing is that I'd say a lot of the people in township areas are those who are more reliant on day labor types of jobs, for example, working in the hospitality industry or um, working as cleaners. And as companies scale back and people are not using office space and others are really reluctant to travel or aren't allowed by law to travel at certain times, um, those are also generally the people who are affected the most. Hmm. So the, the type of ministry that already was taking place where people were quite dependent on the community and so forth, um, that has only been amplified because of, because of the crisis and further by some of the looting and rioting and anarchy that's taken place in the last week. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you've had the political disruption of having a former president um, be um, convicted of corruption, and and so that's that's uh, impacted the environment there as well. Let's talk about India, Timothy. What uh, I, we've heard two stories. I wonder how similar or dissimilar it is from what we've been describing. Yeah, I, I think it is quite uh, similar to what's happening in other parts uh, of the world. Uh, even here, we had difficulty with, uh, especially with technology and uh, phones that would hold such a technology like Zoom. Uh, and uh, and usually, uh, younger generation is more prone to use uh, uh, smartphones, which can hold uh, apps like Zoom. And most of the other uh, folks uh, uh, did not have the privilege of such gadgets. So that was one uh, issue that we faced. And uh, uh, and we, in my observation, uh, randomly, I think oh, there was only 40, 30 to 40% of people 
of the total congregation were actually uh, able to attend some form of online service. Uh, we had Zoom services, but also we recorded that and po posted it on YouTube uh, for people to access at a different time. Uh, but the length of the service was also an issue because people had only uh, limited data on their phones. So I think usually uh, it, it was holding up to 45 minutes or so, but uh, sometimes our services are long and there was this problem. And the Wi-Fi connectivity and other things are also so poor. So I, I remember... Uh, instances where I was preaching and I had to stop because uh, power was gone or internet was gone for some time. Uh, so this uh, definitely disrupts uh, uh, the mood of worship. And uh, already we have a lot of limitations, but uh, through internet and lack of uh, uh, the use of technology, uh, proper technology, I think it added to the problem. Uh, and purchasing data was is expensive here. Uh, not everybody would want to have data always on their phones. And now, uh, with children also turning towards online education, that started to compete with uh, data. So people wanted more data on their phones or uh, on other gadgets. And uh, yeah, so uh, that was uh, something that uh, uh, we saw. More younger people were ready for such services, and most almost sixty percent of our congregation was without church. Hmm. Uh, they did not attend any form of service during that lockdown, and they, uh, whenever there was an opportunity, they were longing to get back to church and uh, get back to fellowship. So uh, we felt very bad uh, because we are unable to reach uh, these folks who uh, always were used. Uh, to go to church and they they uh, for them it is a very meaningful moment uh, of the week so uh, they are unable to have that and uh, people express their desire to come back to the church and they said we, we, we really want to be in the church and want to worship the Lord and give thanks to the Lord for especially after they record from COVID uh, they longed for fellowship and they longed to share testimonies and uh, so that but we had to wait for a long time for that to happen uh, uh, moving forward if there is another wave and multiple waves coming uh, uh, ahead then yeah we have to see how we can actually work with this situation yeah i mean i, I think it's a real challenge i, I, I you know i'm I'm thinking about, you know, here, obviously, in the States, most everyone is connected. Um, most people, or many people, have plans where they're not playing for the size of data. They're just renting from month to month, and they just slow you down if you go over your limit, that kind of thing. So it's a very different uh, digital environment here. Um, and you can stay connected, and people were meeting weekly, and, and now the challenge for the American church is you've got people who've gotten used to meeting in church online and getting them back into the services now that they've opened up.
has become the challenge for some people because a lot of people like attending church, you know, on kind of on their own schedule. So we've got that. We've, we're facing that problem. But it sounds like what we're dealing with in, in most of these other countries is not that situation. And I, I suspect that a lot of churches are having to think through uh, what the situation is going to be like on the other side with so many people disconnected for so long to church. Um, what, is, what does that mean? So, so how are church leaders thinking about that particular uh, challenge, the idea of when we do open up, what's going to happen in terms of how many people have we lost because they've been disconnected for so long? Timothy, what's the situ- what, what is the anticipation of that situation in India? Wow. Uh, there is one problem, unique problem that we faced, especially in our city, was migration because of the uh, COVID situation. Many people wanted to go back uh, to their native places from the cities to which they migrated for work. So, and uh, that's one way that uh, people have moved away from the city itself. So, congregation is affected through that. And uh, People got some, uh, it looks like some folks like in US are used to online platform and they are more comfortable there and they want to stay there. Uh, at least uh, uh, with the uh, fear that uh, another wave might come in. So they, they just want to stay away from the church. Uh, but most of the congregation is still anticipating and looking forward for physical gatherings and they, they just want to come. Uh, they just want to uh, have that experience uh, in the group. So they, they are looking forward to it. That's what uh, we've been uh, noticing. Uh, yeah, not uh, very sure how church would look like if uh, the situation uh, continues to recur. So, so far, we, we're always thinking about the getting back to normal. But if this becomes the new normal, then how are we going to tackle it is uh, definitely a challenge for Indian church, I would say. Hmm. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. South Africa, Michael? It's a good question. I I think... um... As I was saying earlier about people who are more on the outskirts of church attendance, I think I think devoted followers of Christ have continued to look for ways to engage. But 
in some instances, some of the congregations will just have a different mix of people who actually come back after all this time off. Um, there are people who have been reaching out to local churches and to other ministries like the one I'm involved in, and they may start going to church for the first time at the end of this um, pandemic. But I do think that the composition of congregations will be somewhat different, at least to what it's been. I also think in a South African context, it's somewhat unclear how reopening plans will progress. In, in other words, as the vaccine rollout continues, might it be a situation where churches reopen to 25% and then 50% and so forth. In some ways, mega church type of congregations um, have more restrictions on being able to meet for longer than some of the smaller congregations who can satisfy uh, quantity specifications, um, attendee specifications by government. I think finally, in terms of what you were saying about people that the musical expression part of worship services, perhaps some people are starting to think more holistically about worshiping God, including ministry of the word, how they live, interactions with others, with congregational musical expression, being a part of that, but not being, um, not being as, not being equivalent to worship such that music equals worship, that worship embraces all of life and is core to what it is in terms of being a Christian. And if we have not been able to, to meet and have the same corporate singing experience, that's something people are longing for. And they're also longing for interaction with others where even speaking for myself, even where I've been able to attend church gatherings, it's not the same when people are nervous and often looking to disperse more rapidly wearing masks. It's harder to recognize people. So I think people, especially singles, elderly people are missing a lot of those social interactions particularly in a church context, but more broadly in a societal context. So that loneliness issue is a very real one. And exactly how that all gets worked out um, when some people are vaccinated and others aren't, and there's still a general suspicion, that is a little unclear. Yeah, and and, yeah. and I should have mentioned early on that uh, Timothy and Neil um, teach in their respective co countries, um, and in some cases pastor, and then Michael is uh, connected with an organization called Truth Walk, which is a parachurch organization that encourages Bible studies um, in businesses and, and, and arranges conferences for Bible studies for churches um, uh, in South Africa. In fact, I'm in the midst of a of a multi-week uh, session with them, zooming from the United States on on the Book of Acts. So, um, so different ministries, but uh, a wide array of experiences. Neil, uh, 
So the challenge for the churches that haven't – you said they haven't really been meeting since March of 2020. So this is, you know, well over a year now. Um, what's the impact in terms of what churches are either expecting on the other end or what they're seeing now? Yes. Um, the hard part is I spoke to a friend of mine who is a local pastor, and he mentioned to me that uh, several pastors struggle as well because of this pandemic because no church is meeting up, their finances are suffering, so they have to leave the ministry to look for another job. So the question here is, if the church goes back to normal, uh, how many pastors do we still have here in the Philippines who can serve um, on this capacity? And, uh, you know, serving in the Philippines as a pastor is like almost like, you know, uh, making a vow to poverty, so it's a tough uh, job here. And uh, the second thing I've noticed is uh, uh, home churches have sprouted up. I think uh, families have realized that, you know, since we cannot go out, we can uh, come together for, for a season. I live with my parents together with my family. And many families here are, 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 are uh, uh, multi-families are staying together in homes. And so in some sense, uh, before the pandemic, uh, Christians go to church, non-Christians stay home, but because Christians are now staying home and they invite their uh, perhaps uh, Christian family members and even non-Christian family members to join worship. So this has become a, uh, a wonderful uh, ministry that uh, the early church started uh, in homes and I think uh, this is becoming a, a, a wonderful ministry for Christians to penetrate the gospel through their homes. And I think the church was not ready for home churches or for head of families to, to lead their family for Christ. So I think this is something that the church need to be aware of, um, moving away uh, from physical to home church and uh, raising up the, the head of the families to, to shepherd their families for Christ. Interesting. Um, one last question. Go around, and and, and we'll uh, this will be the wrap up. And I'm interested to say, um, to see, um, what do you? I want you to put on your your prediction hat. Okay, I won't turn you into a prophet. I won't give you that much promotion, but uh, put on your ability to predict. And um, what do you think will be the challenges? if and when we come out of the pandemic? In other words, what will churches face? Neil, you've already alluded to one of them, and that is how many pastors are actually going to be left who are going to be prepared to pastor? Uh, what other challenge do you see for the church there in the Philippines as the turnaround uh, happens? And uh, I think for the community or the non-Christian world out there, how many would want to come to church as well? Because it's like uh, – we are in this uh, major scare worldwide. Everybody's scared to go out or even to meet with pink people or mingle with people. And so it's like uh, uh, before you could just go out in the streets and share the gospel. So people are now afraid of you know uh, mingling with other people because of social distancing. So I think that the major challenge is um, how do we reach the non-Christian world out there uh, with the gospel? Uh, you can't even get into their homes. You can't even meet them. So um, how, how do we uh, utilize this uh, uh, social uh, technology to, to reach them, to, uh, to bring the gospel to them? And uh, that's another challenge. Perhaps churches need to find ways to, to uh, 
other ways to connect with the with the with the social realm around mm. them, with the community around them. And recently, um, there has been a a, a movement uh, socially here in the country for public uh, or community pantry because the government is not able to provide enough funds uh, for for people in lockdown. So the communities it's themselves uh, arrange themselves in such a way that you know you could donate some food or some food items and people can line up and get some food item out of it. And so I one of my friends he decided to talk to the local town folks to say that can we volunteer ourselves to help out and even talk to people about Christ and uh, uh, some some uh, because uh, generally Filipinos are very religious so they allowed these Christians to come and talk to them while they line up to, uh, to to get their community pantry. So I think that's another way that the church can do is to um, to mingle with society and to, to meet people where they are and to help meet their needs as well. Michael, South Africa, uh, what do you put on your prognostication cap and where do you think things are going? Or what are the challenges? Well, you, you mentioned TruthWalk, and you know that we're a discipleship ministry, so we work with scholars like yourself. We work with Bible literacy initiatives amongst business people, and that's continued via Zoom because people have access to Zoom. And then the third aspect of TruthWalk is trying to work with colleges and people serving township communities and connecting them with um discerning discipled business people who can help to mobilize resources, whether it be books, financial and so forth. I think that in some areas, it possibly isn't desirable to go back to what was the status quo before, because I think a lot of churches have not taken the discipleship mandate as seriously as they ought to have done. Perhaps Bible reading, Bible exposition has not been as prevalent in making and maturing disciples as it ought to have been. So I would hope that in at least in more solid congregations and churches that have seen that their people are really longing for substantive answers, interactions, um, the biblical theological equipment to process some of these things, to grieve and not just have faith that everything is um, going to be hunky-dory all the time and that the gospel is a road to riches or whatever else it may be. Hopefully there will be some long-term positive um, impact from that. I think, I think South Africa, well, I know South Africa for a long time has struggled with having an insufficient number of trained pastoral leaders, whether that's formal theological training or more informal type of training. Um, that situation was already problematic here before COVID. Uh, we continue to work to try and play our little part in that. Um, I think I think that it will take time to to see church buildings, particularly in more suburban areas, back to the capacity 
crowds that they may have been used to. I think there will be an overhang in terms of less budgetary resources being available to some of these congregations. Uh, probably like Neil was saying, I, I think in some instances, people will realize that it's not so much about the building, which at present is largely being unused, but it's about community and people. And a large part of what people are missing are those passing interactions that take place in the midst of all the other elements of a corporate church service. So I think people will be eager for um, for deeper interactions once those are possible, but it will take time, possibly quite a long time in, in, in an emerging market environment um, like ours, where, where you will have a situation where some are vaccinated, some are not, and people continue to be nervous. And there probably will be a stage where questions will have to be wrestled with about what level of risk is permissible um, in the midst of loving others and being available to others. And to what extent do you cloister away because you're scared of a resurfacing of, of the virus or some infection once you've already been vaccinated. So I, I think we're going to be in this for a lot longer than the US and Europe and other places like that. And I'm guessing the same is true for India and the Philippines. Hmm. Um, Timothy, India, what do you put on your prognostication cap? What do you think? What do you think the other side of the pandemic looks like and the challenges that are associated with it? Yeah, one thing uh, would be sure that is we cannot undo the online explosion that is happening. So we may need to uh, think long term with respect to the online facilities also. Uh, with respect to offline, probably uh, this pandemic has given an opportunity to uh, reach out to new groups of people, like uh, Brother Neil was saying. Uh, it, it gave opportunity to uh, take the church into the homes of people. And usually in Indian setup, uh, there would be one or two people attending the church, and most of them would not be coming or they are not believers. So in such setups, I feel uh, this, this uh, disruption has actually uh, worked out for good. Uh, so that people who are uh, feeling the stigma to come to church can actually access the church without going to the church physically. So uh, that way, I, I, I think it, it is uh, positive. Uh, the aspect of uh, house churches and uh, some form of uh, uh, devotions happening at home home is something new that we are seeing. Every home has some uh, prayer time happening. Uh, and uh, the aspect of discipleship and personal evangelism seem to be uh, kicking in. We used to do street preachings and street uh, you know, uh, sending out the pamphlets and things like that. But now it, it, 
because of the issues that are emerging, there is uh, more uh, viability for personal interactions uh, concerning faith. So uh, I see that happening more and more as we move forward, one-on-one interactions, personal evangelism, and and a, a and a quality discipleship time would happen uh, in, in future. We've been missing, I guess, because of the organized church setups. Uh, just attending the church uh, has become uh, the normal uh, way of life for Kristen. But now that has disrupted and you, you are looking at more. Uh, so other things that I feel would continue is definitely education through online. Uh, in India, only few pastors or few mega churches were present online before, but now everybody is online. So one problem that I see uh, going forward is uh, uh, with the explosion of information on internet, uh, people are exposed to everything. Uh, uh, from good quality Bible expositions to heretical teachings. So uh, there is a danger of being exposed to everything on the internet. So you know, the, there's that danger we see. And, and maybe some uh, young people might think, uh, especially I, there is this tendency I see that's growing among the uh, young people that they are now have the access to listen to Tony Evans or Dr. Charles Swindoll, uh, the giant. So they don't want to go to their normal uh, church pastors who are uh, uh, residing. So uh, things like that are happening. And uh, uh, with respect to college education, now we have access to Dr. Bob. See, now you are accessible to South African audience, uh, even though you are in US with your uh, Zoom. So. Uh, I think it's going to change a lot, uh, especially the way we are doing education and uh, even the churches. Uh, some of it I see as promising, uh, but definitely it has its own challenges. But some of it I think is very good uh, in the sense of bringing people together, in the sense of uh, reaching new people, uh, in the sense of uh, uh, accessing the best resources possible. So one issue that I always felt, even when I was in U.S., was uh, US ha- I felt U.S. had more resources in terms of people who are educated or uh, books or uh, things like that, uh, educational institutions. But now with COVID, I feel uh, most of the resources there are, uh, if they are uh, things like lectures or uh, uh, faculty uh, are available so people can do online courses so things like this uh, seem to be very promising to me uh, the, yeah the, to cut down the story i would say uh, it would be a mixture of uh, challenges and also a lot of uh, you know, benefits i see going forward Dr. well i want to thank you all for um kind of giving us a glimpse three snapshots of what's going on in very different parts of the world um, with some similarities and some differences in each case. Um, so thank you, uh, Neil, Michael, and Timothy, for for helping us um, understand how the pandemic is happening in different parts of the world. We really appreciate your willingness to be a part of the table today. 
And uh, for those of you who are, are watching, we thank you for being a part of the table. We hope you'll join us again soon. And uh, please subscribe uh, to the table. If you're getting this, you have all you have to do is go back to where you got on and you can subscribe to the table and, and you'll automatically get this every week when we release on a Tuesday. So thank you being, for being with us and we hope you'll join us again soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.